Welcome to the O'Reilly Design Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Tressler. In this episode, I sit down with designer, author, and speaker, Adam Connor. Adam talks about organizational design, how to create a healthy company culture, and advice on running productive design critiques. Enjoy the show. Adam, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. I'd like to start off with just talking about how you define design. I have a pretty broad definition, I think. Um, I look at design as a way of, uh, of making decisions about what we create or produce, a way that uses uh, our understanding of the medium we're working in mm-hmm. and the problems uh, we're trying to solve or the opportunities we're trying to capitalize on. Uh, and manipulating those mediums uh, intentionally to reach a certain set of objectives. Hmm. Okay. Can you give me an example of what you mean? Yeah. So I think uh, if you're designing something, you are uh, you are inherently trying to achieve something. You're trying to, uh, you know, it could be something very tactical, like increasing conversions mm-hmm. uh, on a website. Um, you know, in the graphic design space, it could be getting people to think about the the product or service uh, that your your company offers a certain way through the, the banners, uh, posters, or whatever you're creating. Um, if you're a writer uh, and you're trying to get uh, your readers to imagine a certain setting or a certain series of interactions between your characters, you always have some objective in mind. And, uh, and to me, design is about uh, taking what you know about your medium, graphics, words, uh, layout, whatever it is you're working in, thinking about the objectives you have, the people that are going to consume or use your design, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and how you need to structure your creation. Uh, to get there. So, you know, in, in writing, it's about, you know, how, what kind of voice you use and uh, what types of words you use uh, to describe certain settings. Um, you know, how long uh, or brief do you make certain statements? Um, how much detail do you go into? You know, in, in things like web design, it's about layout. It's about getting people uh, people's eyes to to flow a certain way through the screen to lead them through a series of actions and information and build towards that conversion, that call to action. Great, great, great um, definition. I hadn't heard anything like that before. It's It sounds like you, you think about it at a very high conceptual level, um, encompassing both sort of the medium, but also, you know, the audience for it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it, it might sound overly philosophical or esoteric, but I think design is something everybody does. And, you know, when you get into the profession of design, it's just more about being much more intentional with it mm-hmm. and and really thinking about your craft and your medium and, and developing that expertise. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Great. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about you. <laughs> um, so what brought you into the world of design and how have you seen it change since you, you sort of joined the community? Um, I got into design uh, completely unintentionally. Um, <laughs> I originally went to school for film and animation and uh, ended up uh, by, through uh 
through a change of schools and uh, disagreements with instructors, um, ended up actually in a computer science program and, uh, and then needed a job. And it turned out that the, uh, the kind of the biggest employer in my area, a large financial services firm, uh, had a, uh, a team working on their intranet and they needed an intern to help <laughs> basically produce uh, banners and things like that. And I knew a little bit about programming from computer science, and I knew a, you know, a graphic design and illustration from my previous studies. So I applied for that internship. I got it. That turned into uh, a web design, a full-time web design position. And then as UX kind of caught on and developed in that organization, I was there to be a part of that. Uh, and that's kind of how I got here. Wow. So from the days of intranets, where that's what the focus was to today, talk a little bit about what you see as uh, maybe some of the bigger, um, bigger changes you've seen evolve. Well, I think um, the biggest change is is basically just kind of a, a understanding by people working in technology, uh, you know, in on the web, um, with software, uh, kind of a, a realization that all this stuff that was uh, it was really already understood in in other uh, other industries, industrial design and architecture and things like that. All those same kinds of principles and ideas had an application to what they were doing in uh, web design and software design. So that realization, I think, is really kind of what spurred the, the, the rapid growth of design mm-hmm. uh, and understanding and awareness of design. To today, where you know the stuff I work on today at Matt Pow um, actually uh, is pretty far removed from from web design. I'm, I'm working with organizations and, and designing uh, people's roles and the way they work together um, because that it's just kind of been that that realization that we can apply these principles to to any problem that we really set out to to solve. Mm-hmm. Which which would explain why I think. Um to some degree, um, and that's why I love to ask the question about how you define design, um, why it feels nebulous to a lot of people, because it's this discipline that can be applied across all other disciplines. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me a little bit more about what, what it is you're doing now at MadPow. Yeah, so uh, at MadPow, I head up a new practice that we uh, kind of formally started uh, about a year ago called Organizational Design. Um, and, and what it's focused on is on is working with organizations and teams to under, to help them understand how, uh, how they can be more creative and more collaborative, uh, and really work with one another to, to produce better products and services. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it's the design process really kind of turned inward on the organization itself. Um, and it, it grew out of just kind of a, I don't know, a, an ongoing interest or uh, tendency I always had in projects to kind of at the very beginning of a project, look at the clients we were working with, the people on the team, and I could very quickly surmise kind of how that project was going to go, where there would be troubles getting things done, you know, who would fill particular roles, leadership roles, kind of um, who would get along and who wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and overall how that that project uh was going to feel for people um 
and I, I got pretty good at that. And I, I did what I could to try to smooth those edges where I could. And it's uh, grown into this practice. That's awesome. It sounds fun and uh, I'm sure challenging anytime you're working with people and uh, dealing with organizational issues. It is. Um, so, you know, you've you've found yourself in this role and I'd love for you to talk about um, organizations that, you know, are looking to to embrace this culture of design that recognize that they need to do this in order to succeed. Um, talk a little bit about what that means uh, for you and how an organization might go about creating that culture. I think uh, I think the first thing is that the word culture, uh, it's getting thrown around a lot these days, mm-hmm. uh, design culture, um, cultures of innovation, things like that. Um, I think the first thing to, to realize is there's, or at least I've seen it in the, the types of requests I get, that I think there's a kind of a misconception around what culture is. Uh, a lot of people approach me asking you know, if I can help them with their culture as if it's this separate thing that if adjusted, <laughs> everything else, you know, their work, their processes, their people, everything else will fall into place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what culture really is, is uh, the rules, kind of the invisible rules that we all have in our minds of how we're supposed to interact with each other or behave in certain situations. Um, and it's, you know, sometimes it's the the values that we have and sometimes it's it's more kind of uh, reaction and instinctual behavior, uh, and and to get at that and to really influence that in such a way that uh, allows people to be creative, to explore ideas, uh, to be collaborative, uh, and work towards mutual goals. It actually requires you to adjust things like the processes you have, policies you have, the roles people play, uh, the skills that they're using. So in order to actually achieve more creative, collaborative cultures, mm-hmm. what you're really doing is you're examining the, the different elements of your organization and trying to understand, well, what are the elements that are currently getting in the way and preventing people from working together or being more creative? Uh, and what are the ones that, that help them do that? And then, uh, and then maneuvering and manipulating those uh, in ways to, to better achieve creativity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what kind of companies are you, you know, are, are you working with? Obviously you can't name names, but you know, what kind of industries I guess is what I want to know. Uh, well, uh, I feel very lucky that MadPow, um, the, the industries that MadPow is mostly interested in working with are ones that I kind of feel very close to as well. Um, healthcare and financial services are two Hmm. industries that we primarily work with and we work with them kind of with the uh, the objective or the the overall goal of wanting to make people's lives better um, and you know there are, there are few things more important in your life than uh, than your health and your financial security mm-hmm. so so we work with a lot of organizations uh, in those industries and the ones that are um, that are reaching kind of certain points in their design maturity and starting to realize that, you know, we've, we've accumulated a lot of design talents. Uh, you know, we've, we've brought in a lot of, a lot of designers that look really good in their resumes and portfolios, but they're coming in and, and we're struggling to actually do good work with them. Um, we can't figure out why those are the ones, uh, that 
tend to uh, talk to me and that I work with and helping them understand you know, how to best leverage uh, those new skills that they're, they're hiring. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, well, you make a good point. You can hire lots of design talent, right? But if you don't know actually how to integrate or work with them throughout the company, um, it'll only get you so far. Yeah, having having design talent does not ensure design success. <laughs> and having design talent alone is hard enough. Um, you know, when you start to look around, far far more de- you know design positions open than there are designers these days. Yep. Um, great. So, um, next question: What do you think, given your experience, your you know, and I'd love for you to think about this in terms of your most recent experience. What do you think are the most important skills um, and or characteristics for designers today? Well, I think uh, I think some of that depends on you know what vein of design you're working in, right? Because uh, ultimately, to be a great designer, you have to know your medium mm-hmm. very very well. So, you know, if it's graphic design or web design or writing or cooking or whatever it might be. You really have to know that medium and know the uh, the effects that different aspects of that medium have on people. Um, but stepping aside from that, I think no matter what vein you're working in, I think uh, soft skills are the skills that allow us to kind of communicate and work well with others are the most important because we, most of us, uh, work in organizations that require us to collaborate and work with other people and in order to do that uh, we have to have uh, have to have skills that that allow us to do that effectively so things like writing uh, presenting critique um, things like that those all I think come into play very heavily for designers and unfortunately in a lot of the uh, the design schools and design curriculums that I've seen those aren't skills that are uh, that are focused on uh, to any great degree. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Interesting. Okay. Um, so turning to conferences, I, you know, I've been watching this a fair amount as we're planning our own conference. Uh, you speak at a number of, um, of conferences over, over the course of a year, and there's been a fairly active Twitter stream about the code of conduct at conferences. And I'd love to hear your take on that issue. Uh, yeah. Um, I feel... I don't know. I feel somewhat underqualified to, <laughs> to offer an opinion because I'm I'm a white dude. I'm like <laughs> I'm like the guy that the the codes of conduct are, are least uh, least designed to kind of protect and, and serve. Um, I feel like uh, I feel like everybody going to any event, any situation where there are going to be other people. Um, should be able to feel safe, uh, mm-hmm. should be able to feel like uh, like they can be themselves uh, and not have to worry about uh, you know, what other people are going to do uh, at or to them. Um, and I also, I think, you know, just from dealing with people, from being a parent, uh, from working in numerous organizations, I also and understand that assholes are going to be assholes. Right. Uh, and there's absolutely nothing we can do to prevent that 100%. If we could, we would live in a world with no crime. Um, so when it comes to things like a code of conduct, I feel like they are a tool, uh, but they're not the solution. And so mm-hmm. there are things that they they help do. There are 
there are certain people that they will help kind of steer away from bad behavior, but they're not going to steer away everybody. And there are other aspects of events that uh, that contribute to, um, or maybe uh, maybe not contribute to, but maybe um, maximize or minimize the potential for jerks to be jerks. Right. So I wouldn't like I wouldn't look at an organization that has a code of conduct and say. Oh, because they have a code of conduct, they're safe. Right. I would want to know about what other things they're doing. How do they plan to back up that code of conduct? conduct? How, you know, what other arrangements have they made? Um, So I don't think, I don't think we should be looking at code of conducts as the answer. Right. They are a tool and we need to, you know, just like, just like we design things and we know a lot about the different tools and uh, aspects of our medium, they are one piece of a, of a larger solution. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I agree with you. I've seen, you know, through the years of going to conferences myself, I think, you know, it's setting expectations with your attendees to some degree. But from that, there's a lot more that goes into it. Absolutely. And, and the code of conduct is, is I think, is effective for, for some people, for people um, you know, who take the time to look at it and pay attention to it and, and think about it, you know, they're, they're going to be a little less likely uh, to, to do something stupid. Um, but like I said, you can't prevent jerks from being jerks completely. So there will still be people who misbehave, even when there's a code of conduct in place. So I think, think it's great to have them. I just don't think they're the, the only answer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so let's talk about your book. Um, so you wrote Discussing Design with Aaron Irizahi, and um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about why you think it's so difficult to run a successful design critique. Um, I think it's difficult for a lot of different reasons. I, you know, I think the, the first reason is just kind of our own uh, instinctual behavior. Um, the process uh, and emotions that come up when asking somebody for uh, for feedback on something you've created or being asked to give feedback on something uh, someone else has created. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of different instincts that we have, you know, things like getting defensive when someone starts talking about the work you've done or, you know, wanting attention. And so you start saying things in a critique that not aren't necessarily helpful for the design, but are more about getting people to listen to you. Um, so I think we have a lot of bad habits that mm-hmm. come up uh, in these kinds of discussions. And then there are, you know, there are other kind of um, cultural and environmental aspects too. the organizations that we're in, um, the, the role that we have, the, uh, the things that are, are weighing on us, the things, you know, if, if I'm a, a leader, a manager, and I'm being asked to give feedback on something, uh, that I will eventually have to approve. I'm probably thinking about how the people above me are going to perceive this creation. And I might be saying things from that perspective instead. Um, and so there's a lot of different influences that really go into what we say in these kinds of conversations. Mm. I mean, do you do you feel the statement is true that we are our work and that's really a big piece of it? Um, no, I don't think we are our work. I think that people feel like we are. Um, <laughs> but I think that that's part of the problem. Um, I think as designers, we need to learn how to separate ourselves from our work because 
our work is meant to to serve others. Our work is meant to help others achieve something, to get something done. Um, it's not meant to be a reflection of us. Mm-hmm. If you want to produce work that is a reflection of you and how you feel, be an artist. And there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I, I think that that's a, that's a fundamental difference between art and design. Um, mm-hmm. And so in order to be a great designer, I think you have to be able to separate yourself from your work uh, pretty well. Okay. Great advice there. Um, what, um, what additional takeaways do you wish that every reader will learn from your book? Well, I think um, I think maybe the biggest thing is just to get people uh, thinking more about how we talk to the people that we're working with. Mm-hmm. Like I said earlier, we're in organizations where collaboration is required of us. We have to work with other people to get our jobs done. Uh, and in order to work with other people, we have to talk about things and we have to talk about what we're creating and why we're creating it and what it's meant to achieve. And so I, I hope that I think it's weird that uh, <laughs> that we don't spend a lot of time thinking about how we talk to one another. Uh, and I and I hope that people kind of take that away from this. Um, I also hope that that people reading this book realize that critique isn't just uh, just an event, an activity that you do at certain points in time in your project timeline. Uh, you know, it's not something you have to schedule a meeting for and wait until you have everybody in that meeting to do. Critique is really just a way of thinking about and talking about what you're creating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I guess uh, I guess my third thing would be that, you know, again, kind of on that, uh, in relation to that aspect of formality, um, because, uh, because this is a way of thinking and discussing things, um, it's no matter what situation you're in in your organization, no matter how kind of formal things might tend to be structured there, you can have better conversations, more productive conversations about your designs and the work you're producing just by thinking about how you talk to one another and just by changing the types of questions you ask and the types of things you say. And so you don't have to have, you know, formal process and a set of rules and, you know, go out and, and teach everybody in your company what critique is. If you just think about what you say to someone and how you ask for information, uh, you can have a much more productive conversation. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that you anybody could read this book or everybody should read this book because I found when I was reading parts of it, how relevant it is to my work. And I'm not a designer. I do work with designers from time to time, but even having people critique the work I'm, I have uh, going on, it is certainly helpful. And I think it really sort of sets a mindset. As you said, it's, it's an ongoing way of, of communicating. It's not necessarily a set meeting. Yeah. When, when Aaron and I first started uh, talking about this about five years ago and doing presentations on it. We used to have a slide in our deck um, that said critique is a life skill, not a design skill. And we, we took it out because we got, we got punched around a little bit <laughs> being tree huggers and being all uh, philosophical on people. But we do, uh, we do really believe that, you know, if you want to improve at anything, um, critique is a tool by which you can, you can work towards that. And it doesn't matter if it's, something that traditionally falls under the brackets of design, 
or, you know, something that seems completely disconnected from that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think we need to have T-shirts made. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One final question for you. What people, products or services are grabbing your attention these days? Um, Yeah, I can't say maybe it's maybe it's my ADD. But I can't say that anybody specifically is really uh, is really somebody I'm focused on on watching. Um, there's so much uh, noise out there in the world today, in Twitter and Facebook and all the various streams that we have. Um, and I guess it probably would be easier if I just picked a few people to listen to and and just did that. But instead, you know. I'm more kind of interested in people who are talking about uh, behavior, um, culture, Hmm. uh, you know, uh, talking about how practices or ideas from, say, art or illustration or film can be applied uh, in other things like design. Um, And so and there's lots of different people talking about that and people, uh, you know, people might mention that once and then they never mention again. So. There's no like set list of people. I just kind of monitor for those terms. And when they come up, I, I check things out. Great. Great. Um, Adam, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Adam can be reached through his Twitter handle at Adam Connor. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to the O'Reilly Design Podcast through iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn so you never miss an episode. <laughs>